And this week we are getting into parenthood. Now we're going to focus specifically on the first year of parenthood. And we're definitely coming at this from a mental health aspect. So the first year after having a baby is hard. And anybody who's been a parent knows how hard this is. It's hard emotionally and physically on the parents, but it can also be very hard on the relationship. And so we're going to get into that and maybe talk about some tips or at least talk about the importance of making time for your relationship during that first year when you're in survival mode. But I also want to spend some time talking about postpartum depression. And we did an episode on this with Adrian, but it's been about two years now. And so I was like, I think it's definitely time to recycle this topic because postpartum depression, it is really, really important to be talked about. I mean, obviously we believe all mental health is important, but I think postpartum depression can be particularly dangerous because it often can involve a baby. And so that can make it a little bit dangerous in in some aspects. And it's also a subject kind of near and dear to me, I guess. Maybe that's the way to explain it. Because I wrestled with postpartum depression pretty significantly after the birth of my first daughter. And so I'll go ahead and start there because it was a little bit scary for me. And it feels very isolating and very lonely but what I was going through was very normal. And so one of the things that I want to bring up is all women are going to experience some sort of postpartum hormonal mood swing. It's going to vary from woman to woman, but it's very, very normal because, I mean, as you go through labor, your progesterone is ramped up and then all of the, and your body starts producing all these hormones and then all of a sudden it just stops. And so mood swings are very normal. And it's okay to feel excessive crying or to be just your moves be all over the place. In fact, I remember driving home from the hospital with our oldest daughter and crying my eyes out the whole way home for no reason at all. And I kept saying to Curtis, I'm so sorry. And he's like, you're okay. It's fine. And I'm like, I don't even know why I'm crying. I'm just sobbing for no reason. And well, Again, well, there is a reason your hormone your hormones are totally out of whack. But that was and it. Like to, I couldn't. I, you know, to say to say that there's no reason, there's I very guess. there's a really strong physiological reason. We did that episode, I don't know, quite a few episodes ago with Robert Sapolsky, where he's talking about the importance mm -hmm. of hormones on our behavior, and it makes you know so much sense to me that you go through this. I, I can't even imagine what it's like for a woman to give birth. I mean, yeah. I, and, you know, I've been there for all four birth of my children, but I, it just seems so difficult to me. And then hormonally, you have absolutely no control over that. I think that's yes. one of the worst parts of it is you feel like, you know, you, we love to have control in our lives mm -hmm. and you have no control. You can't do anything about that. So I, I wanted to bring up something, get your idea on this. Mm -hmm. And it, a book that I think I've mentioned before by John Got John and Julie Gottman called And Baby Makes Three. And we can talk a little bit more about it. But he makes a statement in there about postpartum depression that he he is talking about how in the first year after having a baby, about 67% of couples become very unhappy with each other. Mm -hmm. Only 33% remain content with each other. 
And, you know, these couples are going through the same thing, obviously. So he tried to figure out, okay, what's the difference? And in this book, I'll let our listeners know that he's recycling a lot of his stuff that we've talked about in like the seven, what is that called? <laughs> it's not seven, seven principles. Habits. Principles. Seven principles for making marriage work. And so he's recycling a lot of that stuff. But he makes a statement that he thinks if you were to follow, say, his guidelines or to really work on it as a couple, that it would either eliminate or decrease postpartum depression. Now, I have never heard that from anyone else. And I'm trying to make sense of it in terms of the hormonal component, because it doesn't matter what you do with with your partner. It, the the hormonal shift is going to come anyway. And so I was a little skeptical. I'm skeptical of that, that you could ever avoid postpartum by doing these things that he talks about that we can talk about in a bit about how to pre- one prepare for the birth and then what you do after the birth. Does that make any sense to you having gone through it? Yes, to an extent, there's nothing you can do to avoid the hormones surrounding postpartum, the, the postpartum hormonal mood swings. I think that right. there are certain things you can do to mitigate your symptoms that okay. I can see and I could even get on board with. So going back to my story here for a minute, all women are going to go through, like we talked about, some sort of mood swings. Your moods are going right. to be uneven. That's totally yeah. normal. What's not normal is for it to continue after that six-week period or if it gets really, really severe. For some women within that first six weeks, it can get pretty severe. And for some women, it continues longer. For me, it continued longer. And so I ended up being put on medication. And the worst part and the hardest part was thoughts of hurting myself, my baby, and my husband. That is when I knew I needed help. And part of what made me so scared is I was worried they were going to try to take away my baby because I had Mm -hmm. thoughts of hurting her. And that wasn't the case because I hadn't actually done anything. And, you know, the doctor asked questions that, well, do you feel like you have bonded with your baby? Do you have a good support system at home and in your community? And so those are all really, really important things when it comes to postpartum depression is bonded with your baby. If you don't feel like you have bonded with your baby within the first week or two. And again, I'm not a doctor, so I'm kind of winging it here, but if you don't feel like you're bonding with your baby, you need to contact your doctor immediately because that can be a sign of postpartum depression. If you ever start having thoughts of harming yourself, your baby or others immediately call your doctor and you know, doctors, they're not going to judge. They're there to help you, right? They're, they're there to help alleviate and, get you the support you need. So I'm curious in your, with your experience, Mm -hmm. it seems like what you're saying is your thoughts kind of got out of of control, the thought Mm -hmm. process. Yeah. But knowing you, I would guess that you would answer yes to good support at home, good community support Mm -hmm. and things like that. So there's gotta, there's gotta be a physiological component to this. Oh, there was. That's why when I hear Gottman say, oh, you can either eliminate it or less, I guess lessen its severity might be true. Mm-hmm. But there are some cases where you aren't going to be able to do that without the yeah. help of a physician and probably some medication, like the mm-hmm. case with you. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, if people read this book, if our listeners read this book, 
just be aware of that because yeah. they don't want to set anybody up thinking, okay, we're going to do all these things and we'll avoid postpartum depression. I think there are cases where you can absolutely not avoid it and that you're going to need some help. But I agree with you. I think there are things you can do that probably less than. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for me and why postpartum depression, I think is so hard is it's the lack of sleep and it's the interrupted yeah. sleep. And, yeah. you know, and that's why it was so hard for me is because I'd never in my life had to wake up in the middle of the night. In fact, I remember being in the hospital with our daughter and I had just gone through, I mean, my labor was 26 hours long. And so I'm completely exhausted. And then, you know, they start waking me up every three or four hours at night to feed my baby. And I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? Like this, this is my life now. And I don't know why I didn't expect it, but I mean, that was so hard for me. And a lot of it too, I think could have been my age because I was only 20. And it's not that I wish I'd waited yeah. to have kids because I certainly don't, but I think age can be a factor. And so, you know, when you're younger, you're a little less mature. I think that comes into play when it comes to postpartum depression. Right. And I think here, here's one of the things that Gottman does talk about in his book. And this really ties into some of our, our recent episodes that one of the most important things you can do as a couple or and so we're talking about you know having a baby as a couple mostly but realizing mm -hmm. that there are times when uh, women choose to have children on their own but i think you really need to be aware that you're going to need support yeah. anyway what gottman talks about is anticipating what the issues are and and you know what you just said triggered that like you didn't realize, oh, I'm going to be being woken up every four hours in order to feed my baby. And so I think the more you can prepare for it, mm -hmm. the the better able you're going to be able to handle the change in, you know, your your own sleep patterns, your relationship with a spouse or a partner. It's the anticipation and then talking about, okay, how are we going to handle this particular issue? Yeah, And I think when he says you can lessen the intensity or even avoid postpartum, I think this is part of what he's talking about. And in the past, in past episodes, I've mentioned, I, I like the word narrative and we create, we all create narratives and you can actually change the narrative you have about the birth and, and mm -hmm. having, you know, in the first year and because Lack of sleep is going to make everything harder. We know that. Yeah, yeah. And we certainly know that about, so just regular depression that people experience. There's almost always, in fact, I would say there's always a component of disrupted sleep mm -hmm. in depression. And so, you know, you've got to figure out as a couple or, you know, whoever you're with, how are you going to get better sleep sometime? Yes. And again, I'm going to acknowledge for some listeners that may be impossible. Mm -hmm. Because they may not have the support network needed and, you know, the help to give them some relief from a new baby, because it's really hard. I wasn't the one feeding our children, you know, because uh, Lindy uh, breastfed all of our kids and I wasn't the one doing that. But I'll tell you, I hated the, the nighttime because it yeah. was, you know, it's disruptive even for the partner. Mm -hmm. uh, you get up, you change the baby, you feed and... It is really a tough year. I think it's about a year long. I don't know what you think about yeah. it. That, that's really, really hard. I, I mean, it varies 
from kid to kid. And I think our first was about a year. And I want to revise my statement a little bit because, I mean, I knew that that was part of motherhood was getting up every few hours. I just didn't know it would Mm -hmm. be so hard to get up. I think that's what caught me so unexpectedly is I didn't want to how much I just wanted to keep sleeping. And yeah, yeah, I mean, and it's one of those things until you're in it, you just can't fully grasp and understand how hard it is to have a lack of sleep. And so our absolute worst sleeper was our youngest. So my son, for two years, he did not sleep consistently through the night. And it was awful. It was so hard because for two years, I was getting up with him every few hours sometimes and I think it got it finally got better around the time I quit nursing and and it come to find out I think there were some other nutritional issues surrounding his allergies and I think that might have made some things difficult but I mean hands down the lack of sleep is the hardest part of coping with postpartum depression at least in my experience and I think that's what makes it difficult and so men might not necessarily experience the hormone, the hormonal changes, right? They're not going to experience that, but they can experience a type of depression as well because of the lack of sleep. And so mine and Curtis's coping method for our youngest son was sleeping in separate rooms and he was working from home. Yeah. Yeah, He was working from home at the time. And so this worked out quite well. So he would sleep in another room, get a good full night's sleep, I would be up all the time with our with the baby every few hours and then he would let me nap during the day right so he would kind mm-hmm. of try to pull double duty work and you know we'd let one kid watch a show the other one was at school and that was our coping method and it worked really well for us and so you know I think that's what couples need to start talking about early on what's our game plan what are we going to do to ensure that we're at least getting enough sleep or at at least getting enough sleep to function. Cause I think that's your goal is survive and you're going to be in survival mode at first. That's very normal. And it's okay to be in survival mode and to, and I think you also just have to recognize and accept the fact that, or just remind yourself, this is temporary, right? This is going to end. I think that's crucial for surviving. Then just be kind to yourself. And you know what? My kids got a lot of extra screen time and Mm. I was okay with it. Like it was fine. It's okay if your kids get extra screen time so you can sleep. It's fine. Okay, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Hi there. My name is Maya Acosta and I'm the host of the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast where I explore ways that we can optimize our health. I learned about the field of lifestyle medicine, which uses evidence-based approaches to prevent, halt, and in even some cases, reverse disease. These are lifestyle modalities, such as using certain foods as medicine, using exercise to reverse disease, managing our stress, and even getting adequate sleep. Join me and the amazing people that I get to talk to as I set out to learn how taking better care of ourselves can help us both improve the quality of life and enhance our longevity. Let's get started. So in talking about men, depression uh, with that birth of the child that first year, one of the things that Gottman does bring up in this book is that the couples who have a harder time 
the narrative that they have tends to be, oh, there's something wrong with our relationship because we aren't dealing yeah. with this very well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, before the birth, you really have to create the expectation. This is not about our relationship. This is about one lack of sleep, stress, got this new baby. We're trying to figure it out. And so that part is important. It's not about the relationship. There's a reason that couples get married, you know, they love each other and they're good together. And then and I think I've said this before that, you know, people talked about the seven year itch and, and how divorce spikes at seven years. And what Gottman found is that most often that's the time in the, the birth of the first child. Yeah. And so it's not that the relationship goes bad is that everything's going along really well. And all of a sudden there's this big hiccup. It's not a hiccup. I shouldn't say that about our children, but, uh -huh. but it's this big stressor yes. that comes on that a lot of people think that they're, it's just going to be easy and it's not easy. But I think for men, my experience with couples and men having gone through this, I can't remember if I felt this or not, that, you know, in the relationship, you're important to each other. And then all of a sudden with a child. Yeah the focus and you and maybe the reason i didn't feel it is my focus also went to the child but certainly the mother typically is going to focus on the child and i think that's really evolutionary in nature what we're, we're trying to ensure the survival of these of these children who yeah. tend to take care of themselves and so it makes sense that the focus ought to be on the survival of the child and so for a lot of men if they don't get into that role of father of really, you know, taking care of the baby, mm -hmm. they can feel left out. Mm, that's a good point. And they can feel like they aren't important anymore. And they feel like they can feel like their wife doesn't love them. And I think because the emotional connection uh, is weakened a little bit because, you know, a lot of the energy is going toward the baby. So mm -hmm. but that to me makes sense. And you used the word a minute ago, temporary. I think the couples need to keep that in mind. This yep. is a temporary situation. This is not the rest of your lives. And, and then the sexual connection is often disrupted as well. Mm -hmm. and, and so all of those things together, then you combine it with a lack of sleep. And I think it's true that a lot of men can sink into a depression. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I've said before that with one of the common themes that I see and people who are depressed is a sense that either all or part of their life is out of their control. Mm -hmm. That to me describes having a baby yeah. in the first year is your life is out of control. And I think we raise men to be independent, right? Mm -hmm. And you lose that independent. Yeah. All of a sudden you can't just do what you want. You can't just say, Hey, let's go out to dinner tonight or let's go see a movie. You've got this little baby that you now have to take care of. And it, yep. it's a real adjustment. I think what can help with that, though, is for the father to be as involved in the care of the child as he possibly can be. Yes. And, yeah. and a lot of fathers have trouble with that. I've seen them. Um, I think that they either don't, they aren't comfortable, they don't, they don't know what they should be doing. And so they tend to stay away from it. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a, some research done on this. If a father wants to have a really strong relationship with their adolescent children, mm -hmm. one of the key things to do is you, you have to be involved in the feeding, bathing, and and uh, changing diapers of your infant children. 
-hmm. it starts way back then what yeah. they found is fathers who are really involved in that initial care have really good relationships with their adolescents yeah and that makes a lot of sense to me because feeding and changing are basic needs for babies mm -hmm. and if you think about it it creates trust right because babies yeah. learn even at a young age that's how attachment is formed because mm -hmm. you know they can't get out of their own wet and dirty diapers they can't get their own food and so you know that's really how attachment is formed is because this baby learns I can trust you to take care of me. I can trust you to provide for my basic needs. And so, you know, I think you're right. Fathers really need to be involved with that because for one, it gives them an idea of the true strains of parenthood. You know, like, okay, this is what my wife is going through or my what my partner is going through on a regular basis, trying to care for this baby. And for two, I think you're right. If both of your priorities can shift to the baby, right? right then it's going to be mutual, right? If, mm -hmm. if you can make that shift more mutual, it's going to help. And so I, we avoid politics and religion on this podcast, but I, I want to, <laughs> yes, I, but I want to cite my source here. And so if anybody who's in the pol political world probably knows who Ben Shapiro is, and this isn't political, but he said something that really resonated with me. And that was kids should be first urgency, but your spouse needs to be your primary necessity. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense to me because I mean, kids are going to suck all of your time and energy. It's just natural. It's just a part of life, but you have to still make time for that primary relationship. Or I guess your relationship with your spouse still needs to be the primary relationship right? So a lot of your time and energy is going to shift to your kids, but you still have to make time to keep your relationship strong, whatever that looks like. And it's going to vary from couple to couple, but you cannot neglect that marital relationship. Right. And so I think you do that in a couple of ways. One is change the narrative. So yeah. that it's not this isn't about our bad relationship. This is a temporary thing. We're both focused on making this work and the survival of our child. Mm -hmm. I think if you talk about it before and you have some sort of plan in place, then I think that's what Gottman is talking about as far as decreasing those symptoms of postpartum depression. Because one, if the wife, if the, the mother feels like the father is really involved yeah. and really helping and sharing, then that's going to, she's not going to feel as alone yes. as she might. And, you know, so if she's alone and caring for this child, that is really hard. Mm -hmm. um, and you combine that with a lack of sleep. And so I think the father's involvement in the care of the child is really crucial for his own relationship with his child, but also for his relationship with his wife. And so a lot of the chapters in this book are really going over all those kind of standard Gottman things that we talked about in those seven principles of making marriage work. In fact, he, I, I would guess he probably just copied a lot of the chapters, but the mm -hmm. principles are still there because you can still do it, you know, as, a pre, as far as appreciation, as far as how do you divide up tasks? And, you know, when, if you're a couple alone without children, often you don't need to do that because it, it's easier. But mm -hmm. once children come into the mix, you really have to be more organized, I think, yeah. to, 
to be able to survive. And part of that organization is probably dividing up tasks. And so that, you know, as so we're, you know, you and I are really approaching it from a little different standpoint, you as a mother, me as a father, I was, I was really involved with my children. I can still remember, you know, uh, on the changing table, changing your baby. Often it's the time where you're right there. You're like a foot away from each other, you know, and so the connection that you're making and, you know, the laughing or the, just the interaction Mm -hmm. um, often happens at that time. And then you can continue when you pull the baby off the changing table. But I just think it's critical that fathers, you know, step up and really take part if right from day one. Yeah. And so so that the mother doesn't feel so alone and so overwhelmed. If you're together, it's going to lessen that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I agree with that. And, you know, and Curtis, like you, has certainly always been an involved father. And so, you know, our coping method looked a little different because I was a stay at home mom and he had to work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, we, we found a way that, that worked for us, you know, and just letting him get a good night's sleep so I could nap. And that's kind of, I don't know, that's continued throughout the rest of our marriage. I've been the early morning parent and then I've always let him sleep in and then he's always let me nap and it, it's worked well for us. But I mean, the point is, is, is we've, you know, like you've said time and time again, we've been a team, you know, and we we've talked about it and we've acknowledged each other. And, you know, you talked about Gottman in terms of showing appreciation. That's going to be so important Mm -hmm. in terms of when you first have a baby, because you're not going to be sleeping very well. And so, you know, you're going to be tired and you're going to be more fatigued and that's going to make you more irritable. And I think it's really important to one as a husband, express to your wife, I really appreciate the way that you are sacrificing so much to take care of this baby. And then two, the wife needs to say, I really appreciate when you step in and do this. That means a lot to me. And, you know, coming from the female's perspective, I especially think that that is crucial to, to tell your spouse, your partner, your husband, you know, I really appreciate it when you step in and do this. Because they may not know how much that means to you, that they just may think I'm just doing what's required. But if you say, I really appreciate that, they're going to know to keep doing it. They're going to understand, oh, okay, this means a lot to my partner. I better keep doing this because this is going to help keep our relationship strong. Yeah. And so, you know, you mentioned irritability. Yeah. I mean, I certainly remember being irritable, probably through the lack of sleep and, Mm -hmm. you know, loss of control in my life. But I, I think that you're more prone to conflict then. Yes. And so Gottman spends several chapters talking about many of the things that we've gone over uh, before, as far as listening well, validation, empathy as a way to cool down your conflict. And here's one takeaway as for listeners, as far as changing conflict, the fastest way to cool down a conflict is when you both take responsibility for your part in whatever it is that's going on. It just, if you hear the other person say, yeah, I did this. And then you both do that. You accept responsibility for your part. It just brings the conflict right down, cools it right down. It Mm -hmm. is the fastest way. And so, but you both need to do that. It can't be one-sided. And so you have to be aware, anticipate 
the lack of sleep, the irritability, and the possible increase in conflict. And that's why I think before the birth of the child, you should be practicing those communication techniques so so that you're good at it. You don't want to be doing this. Yeah. When, you don't want to be learning it when you're tired. Yeah. And when you've got all these other things going on in your life, you want to practice before. You know, going back to what we said at first, it's about preparation and anticipating yep. um, what issues might come up and come up with a plan. For yeah. People who go into this without a plan, I think that's not a good idea. Really you, you can't build the airplane as you're flying it. No, <laughs> no, you can't. You can't learn how to fly the airplane as you're flying it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. But, you know, you need you need to have a lot of training before. And I think the same thing is true with yeah. the birth of a child. I had a question for you that I should have asked earlier. Did you have postpartum depression with your other births? Or was it not before? Not as severely. Okay. And so I, and I think there was a couple of reasons for that. And so, uh, and I think the main reason was community. So the birth mm-hmm. of my second child, oh, we lived in this amazing neighborhood. So there was this whole group of stay at home moms and we spent every day all summer, just, we would all sit out in this circle and our kids would run around and we just sit there and chat all day. It was like this idyllic, perfect little community. And so I think that really helped a lot with postpartum depression, or at least with in coping with, you know, those postpartum hormones and easing into that transition of transitioning from one to two kids, because I had this really awesome support system and great, great sense of community. And then with my third, I think it was a little harder I think I maybe did have it a little bit more and it probably lasted a little bit longer and it wasn't as intense as with my first. And I think a lot of it had to do with because I was still on medication at that point and that really does make a big difference. But, you know, I think it definitely, certainly the fatigue and everything and some of the symptoms definitely lasted a little longer because he was such a poor sleeper. In fact, I remember it was, must've been in the first month after we brought him home Curtis found me in bed, literally curled in a ball crying. And he had woken up because our son was crying and fussing and I hadn't tended to him because I mean, by our third kid, you know, Curtis kind of knows how this goes. Like he might wake up because he hears the baby fussing, but he knows that I'm going to get up with the baby. Well, the baby's still crying and what it was is, and I told him, I was like, I've been up with him for three hours He's like, really? And I was like, yeah, it's been three hours. He just won't go to sleep. And it was just so hard because I was so tired. And, you know, thankfully he, I mean, and Curtis was great. He had a lot of compassion and he immediately just first, he picked up their son. He got him settled and comforted. And then he comforted me. And I think that's really what it comes down to is, and again, I'm coming at this from the perspective of a wife having been through it. We need a lot of comfort. (laughs) No, but it really... You know, as we've talked about this, it kind of supports Gottman's idea that you can decrease the severity of the postpartum. Yeah. Or I don't know that you could eliminate it because of the hormonal component, but yeah, you know, talk about community. I mean, there are all these things that you can do. Now, again, I want to acknowledge there are a lot of there may be a lot of listeners who are not able to do yeah. this, mm-hmm. this type of thing because a lot of people do not have community. And a lot of people don't have the support. And there may be mothers who choose to have children on their own, which is a valid choice. I just think it makes it harder. 
Yes. Uh, it, it's a hard choice. And so I think hopefully those people who choose to, those women who choose to do that know it's going to be a bit tougher because you are alone. Yeah. You know, so if we go back to talking about a couple of other things that you can do that Gottman mentions. So working on your friendship, it's that connection, that emotional connection. Mm -hmm. And then working on your sexual connection as well are, are two really important things. And again, you need to talk about it. Dialogue, we've talked about that so often is dialogue is the most important thing you can do. And so I'm going to give a couple of books that I think, actually one book that I think would be helpful. There's a sex therapist who I really like. He's not alive anymore. His name is Bernie Zilbergeld. And uh, he, write, he wrote some really good books. But he thinks that, you know, after the birth of the child, there are two things you need to focus on. One is just the friendship. Yeah. And then make sex a priority. Yep. And then the book I wanted to mention, which I think I've mentioned before, it's called Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. It puts forth this idea of uh, breaks and gas pedal as far as sexual desire. And okay. I won't go into any more detail than that because I, we may have talked about it before. But I think it's a really good book for couples to read, even, you know, with without having the birth of a child. But, you know, you have to, to really work. You have to make sex a priority, make friendship a priority and uh, work on it. And yeah. you have a plan. And then I think you you can come through this as a team. We talked yeah. about work. You've got to be a team on this. So nobody told me that after you have a baby, you're not supposed to have sex for the first six weeks. Right. Well, hopefully your OBGYN told you that. Well, no yeah, no, she not not before I had a baby. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was, <laughs> yeah. After, yeah. Yeah. That's a, no, like no one, no one talks no about one said that. that. No, nobody told me that, that after you have a baby and then my OBGYN tells me that and, or somebody, I don't even remember when I first heard it, but I'm like, wait, really? Like well, that think, long? Yeah, but I think it can be even longer if you've had an episiotomy, Maybe. I think, or if, or if you ripped even. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are any number of things that could prevent you from having a sexual uh, relationship or at least intercourse. Let's yes. call it intercourse. Yes. Just because you can't have intercourse, intercourse there are, doesn't, yeah. doesn't mean you can't still be intimate or physically, sexual. Yeah, yeah, sexual in other ways. Right. I think that is an important distinction to make and a conversation you need to have before mm -hmm. the baby arrives. What is this going to look like for us? What are we going to do? What are our rules? What are our boundaries surrounding this change to our intimacy for at least six weeks? And the other thing you have to consider is you can't start any form of birth control before six weeks. So right. for some women, they may heal sooner and they may be able to start sexual intercourse sooner, but you have to consider that because right. you are more fertile right after you get pregnant. And for me, that is so backwards. Hello, mother nature. What were you thinking? <laughs> that is so well, backwards. Mother, but mother nature wants you to procreate. <laughs> I guess, but I mean, seriously, but it's like, that's something that women need to be aware of is doesn't, doesn't care about your relationship. <laughs> no, no, but that you need to be aware of that is you have like, if you are sexually active right after, and maybe, I don't yeah. know. And I will say it can come in handy after a miscarriage because you're more fertile right after a pregnancy, but you need to be careful because even if you want to have more kids, you don't want to be having kids less than a year apart. That no. is not no. recommended by anyone. And so being creative 
around yeah. sexuality if mm-hmm. you can't, because there are situations, you know, where you can't do that. It's really important to maintain that emotional and physical connection. I was just thinking about, you know, there are hormonal things that happen when we um, have sex with each mm-hmm. other, when we're physically intimate. And I'm just guessing, I don't know anything about about this, I would guess that might be a good counter to those hormones that might be involved in, you know, postpartum. Uh, yeah. And so I um, think Mark, I think Mark, you make a really good point, actually, because, you know, when a woman does orgasm, right, she's creating that oxytocin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so you get that, the, those feel good emotions and oxytocin is also a bonding hormone. And I don't think there's any mistake that women get oxytocin when they breastfeed and when they climax. So right. but I, also men do. Men do as yes. well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so I think that, you know, I think you bring up a really good point is, you know, don't neglect that physically if you can, right? Yeah. I mean, don't don't make yourself physically uncomfortable. But I think you probably make a really good point that, you know, orgasming and your partner being involved with that mm-hmm. can yeah. really help as far as combating postpartum depression is because again, oxytocin it's a bonding hormone. Right. And so my caution to men who might be listening, I found this more often with men, is for whatever reason, men tend to define sex as intercourse. Mm-hmm. And you need to be, you know, have a wider range of what you think sexual activity is. Yeah. Well, because it does not have to be intercourse. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's really important not to have intercourse, but to be sexually active and you can do that. And so I'm just suggesting to men that you think about that. I don't know if I've ever run into a, that I've treated a woman who, who thinks that I think it's mostly men who think that. I don't know. And maybe you've already experienced this a couple, if you have complications in your pregnancy, sometimes even at that point, yeah. yeah, intercourse can be off the table in certain circumstances. You know, and so again, it's just, it's a conversation that you need to talk about. You need to be open and to be having that dialogue and coming up with the viable solution that's going to work for both of you. Yeah. So I think, you know, as a summary, I really like Gottman's book. It's called And Baby Makes Three. A lot of the same stuff, you know, in his previous books, but really more focused on what do you do to maintain the relationship? I think when you maintain that relationship, you decrease it's likely to decrease those symptoms of postpartum depression Mm -hmm. because you feel like you're together and you're a team. And again, from my perspective, being